I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Curious Canadian History. I'm your host... David Boris. In the late 19th century, a group of brave Canadians traveled to the dangerous Chinese province of Honan to set up a series of missions, bringing health care and the gospel. These first-generation Canadian Protestant missionaries experienced traumatic hardship and barely survived the Boxer Rebellion of 1900, yet never faltered in their mission, and even in the face of tragedy, returned to Honan to continue what they saw as their divine calling. This is Season 8, Episode 3, The Honan Mission, First Generation Canadian Missionaries in China. Today's book recommendation is by author Sonia Gripma, and the title is Healing Hainan, Canadian Nurses and the North China Mission from 1888 to 1947. This was published by UBC Press in 2008. Before talking about the Honan Mission, it's important to set the historical context of why missionaries were in China in the first place. Over the course of the 19th century, Western powers had been establishing economic and political footholds throughout mainland China, bringing greater knowledge and understanding of the once mighty empire to much of the Western world. As happened in almost every example of Western imperialism, following close on the footsteps of these European pockets of influence came with it Christian missionaries, who sought to convert the Buddhist and Taoist populations to Christianity. While traditionally we may think of missionaries as those simply spreading the gospel, for many missionaries of the 19th century, they sought to utilize the strategy of providing health care and education in combination with the teachings of Christianity. In fact, The first such blending of hospital and mission came in the 1830s under the American Dr. Peter Parker. This, in fact, predated the 1842 Treaty of Nanjing, which ended the First Opium War and officially triggered China's opening to foreign intervention. Eventually, a series of unequal treaties, as the Chinese called them, would be signed with Britain, the U.S., Russia, Germany, France, and Japan. Peter Parker's hospital and mission set the model for Protestant missions to come, and after 1841, come they did. By 1890, when the first Canadians began to arrive, 
There were 30 Protestant mission societies working in China, and 23 mission hospitals had already been established. Thus it was that in July 1888, three Canadians from Ontario boarded a ship in Vancouver to sail to China, the first three of who would become known as the Honan Seven. Honan, or alternatively Hainan, is in central China and is one of the oldest and most populated provinces in the country. It is known as the birthplace of Han Chinese civilization, has over 3,200 years of recorded history, and contains seven of China's 19 historical capitals. It is also quite a fertile land, as the Yellow River runs through it, with about three-quarters of the province lying south of the Yellow River, and the last quarter lying on its northern banks. Now, those three Canadians who first departed for China were Miss Harriet R. Sutherland, Dr. James Fraser Smith, and his wife, Minnie. They were members of the Presbyterian Church of Canada and were nominally responsible to the Presbyterian Foreign Mission Board. Harriet Sutherland graduated from the Toronto Training School for Nurses and would become, upon her arrival, the first Canadian nurse in China. Now, upon arriving in the country, the three met up with Reverend Jonathan Goforth and his wife Rosalind, and in Yantai, along the Chinese coast in the province of Shandong, they joined with Dr. William McClure and Dr. Donald McGilvery. These first seven Canadians became known as the Honan Seven. It's interesting to note that originally doctors Fraser Smith and Goforth did not want a female nurse to accompany them. They felt bringing a single woman into the Chinese countryside was dangerous and also morally questionable. Yet, when Goforth first arrived in China prior to the rest of the seven, he realized that Chinese social customs would not allow male doctors to have contact with Chinese women. Thus, a trained female medical nurse was needed if the mission was to treat Chinese women. Unfortunately, Sutherland would not be that person in Honan. While waiting in Yantai, Sutherland fell in love with a recently widowed doctor, the Reverend Hunter Corbett, and resigned from the mission in 1889. This issue, in fact, became a bit of an ongoing problem for the Women's Missionary Society responsible for sending female missionaries to China. Something like nine of the 20 Canadian nurses who succeeded Sutherland quit their mission to marry other missionaries. Sutherland actually continued working as a nurse and missionary, but now with her husband under the American Presbyterian Board. She remained in Shandong province until her death in 1937. Three months after Sutherland's resignation, two replacements for her were on their way to China, Miss Janet Graham and Miss Margaret McIntosh. Both of these women were, like Sutherland, Ontario-born and were, like Sutherland, graduates of the Toronto Training School for Nurses. Both nurses had fairly extensive experience in medicine, had been involved with a wide variety of church activities, and were actually considered old for the position. McIntosh was 32 and Graham was 31. The Women's Missionary Society was kind of hoping that by sending these older women, the chances of losing them to marriage would be reduced. However, 
one of the nurses simply wouldn't last. Janet Graham caught a cold in Japan, and by the time she had arrived in China, it had gotten much worse. In January 1891, Graham resigned her position, and McIntosh was the only nurse left. But McIntosh wasn't going anywhere, and would become the sole WMS nurse in Honan for the next 23 years. It should be pointed out that it wasn't actually until 1895, so seven years after the initial seven had first arrived in China, that they were finally able to establish their mission in Honan province. This was due to a number of reasons, social and political upheaval in the province, coupled with problems getting transportation into the region, as well as difficulty getting approval from the local government to establish a mission, as well as a series of staffing changes. When they did finally arrive in Honan, they set up their mission in Changti, which was an important center of local government in North Honan, the part of Honan that lay north of the Yellow River. It should be pointed out, though, that even before the mission was formally established, the group was carrying out its blending of evangelism and healthcare throughout the province of Shandong, yet illness was a constant enemy of the Canadian missionaries. In 1892, malaria and dysentery swept through the group and claimed the lives of the young sons of both Dr. Fraser Smith and Reverend Goforth. In fact, by 1913, 19 children of the missionaries had died from disease. The Goforth themselves buried five children in China. It wasn't just children, though. Dr. Lucinda Graham, Janet Graham's sister who replaced Janet's spot in the mission, died in 1894 of cholera while nursing the wife of a sick mission doctor, and that wife also passed away eight days after Lucinda's death. In 1894, Dr. Fraser Smith became sick with typhus, and just as he was starting to get better, he then caught pneumonia. His health was so bad that he was invalided back to Canada and was officially retired from the mission in 1896. Now, one of the central figures in the North Honan mission was Margaret McIntosh. After a brief sojourn to Canada in 1894, she returned to China with even greater zeal for her missionary work. In fact, upon her return, she began to focus less on providing medical care and more on evangelism. She would speak the gospel at fairs, Sunday school classes, and even in private homes, focusing her attention on Chinese women and children, and was particularly interested in teaching Chinese women how to read. There was a particular missionary zeal targeting Chinese women during this time period. In Canada, in fact, there was a popular view that Chinese men were, and I quote, morally corrupt, while Chinese women were treated as second-class citizens and also sexually promiscuous. In fact, much of the literature within the Presbyterian Church at this time spoke explicitly of Chinese women and their children suffering from poverty, famine, and illness, while also coping with practices such as foot-binding, female infanticide, domestic slavery, and opium addiction. In 1885, a royal commission on Chinese immigration wrote, and I quote, The degradation of women in China is, alas, absolute and complete. 
the evidence is overwhelming that Chinese men are cruel. Children are sometimes bought by persons who intend to sell them at the age of puberty as slaves or for baser purposes. Where poverty is great or the family of girls is already thought too large, the murder of female children is pursued on principle and with impunity. End quote. Thus, as one historian wrote, the image of Chinese women as oppressed, isolated, and impoverished prevailed. And of course, with male missionaries forbidden from interacting with Chinese women, it fell to female missionaries to work with them. There was always a debate amongst the missionaries on how much emphasis should be placed on medical care versus evangelism. Some favored the former, others favored the latter. Margaret McIntosh very much favored the latter. The problem that many encountered was that there was a high demand for medical practitioners throughout the province, and this meant little time for evangelical work. Wherever the doctors and nurses went, crowds would gather, and letters written from the missionaries seemed to suggest about 70% of the people needed some sort of medical treatment. They were never able to get to everyone. It's clear from the historical records that balancing medical care with evangelism was a difficult and often challenging process for many of the missionaries. Now, despite numerous setbacks and delays in setting up in North Honan, by 1900, the mission had expanded. There were three mission stations in the three main cities of Honan and a series of outstations scattered throughout the province. Curious Canadian history. We'll be back after the break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, it is worth asking what kind of success the missionaries achieved in converting local Chinese to Christianity. Well, the numbers weren't large by any stretch of the imagination. But the Honan mission did claim success in converting the first two Chinese from that province. Perhaps more interestingly, the granddaughter of one of those first converts would end up enrolling as part of the first class of nursing students in the Weiwei Nurses Training Program in 1923. This was a training program established by the Canadian Honan missionaries in the city of Xinjiang. For this first generation of Canadian missionaries in Honan, which by 1900 now numbered 21 adults and a dozen or so children, their biggest test would come that year in what became known as the Boxer Rebellion. The background to the Boxer Rebellion is quite complicated, but generally speaking, there was widespread anger amongst many Chinese at the influence that foreign powers had over China. As mentioned earlier, several countries had forced China to sign treaties backed by military threats, and these treaties became known as the Unequal Treaties. Generally, China gave up a piece of territory to the foreign powers, along with extensive concessions for resource extraction, railway contracts, 
and a variety of other economic projects. For many Chinese, the presence of foreigners on Chinese soil became a reminder of the shame and embarrassment their country had suffered in the course of the 19th century, going from Asia's dominant power to an economic subservient of Japan and the West. This anti-foreign movement grew over the latter decades of the 19th century, and coupled with poor harvests in 1898 and 1899, the country was on the verge of erupting. In 1900, this eruption occurred, led by an anti-foreign group known as the Boxers. In April of that year, 2,000 Boxers attacked Roman Catholics, and in June, two reverend missionaries were killed during another attack. Despite many in Honan recognizing that tension was increasing dramatically, and many of the missionaries themselves were concerned about the future, most agreed that they would remain in place. You see, most of the Honan missionaries felt that by leaving the province, they would be abandoning their Chinese friends and followers. Not to mention that the treacherous overland journey might be more dangerous with roving bands of brigands and boxers than remaining in place. Yet events spiraled out of control. On the 10th of June, the Honan missionaries received telegrams from the American consulate urging them to flee immediately. Ten days later, a false rumor reached them that some of their fellow Honan missionaries had actually been murdered. While thankfully this was false, it was the final straw. The Honan missionaries departed on the 28th of June. They met others along the Yellow River, and a group of 15 adults and six young children now made their escape from the province. Sadly, only a few days before their departure, the Gophors had buried their seven-year-old daughter Florence, who had died of meningitis. The evacuees spent two weeks traveling over land to the neighboring province, a caravan of ten large carts carrying all their worldly goods. They then spent two more weeks traveling by boat. On the morning of the 8th of July, the group was leaving a small village after having spent the night barricaded in the local village inn when they were attacked by a mob. Many of the attackers had stones, bricks, and some even swords. The missionaries were forced to fight for their lives. Five of them were seriously wounded, and many others received cuts, scrapes, and bruises. And the group was forced to abandon their carts to the mob. Mrs. Goforth even had her shoes stolen right off her feet. The group only received aid when they stumbled into a local nearby village full of Muslim Chinese who took pity on them. Despite losing most of their goods and many suffering injuries, the group pressed on, arriving in Fancheng on the 10th of July. Sadly, the youngest child of the missionaries, a baby of less than a year, succumbed to the toll the journey had taken, heat, exhaustion, malnourishment, and died on the 11th of July. On the 27th of July, the Honan missionaries finally arrived in Shanghai, where they were now safe. Having endured an ordeal, they labeled our thousand miles of miracle. Incredibly, many of the missionaries would return to North Honan after the Boxer Rebellion was put down. By mid-1902, the mission was once again up and running throughout the province. In fact, 
Several of them felt that God's will had been made clear to them in the fact that almost all of them had survived the escape from the province. Despite major setbacks and a series of tragedies, the first generation had set a stubborn precedent for future missionaries to come. The Honan mission would continue, and more missionaries would arrive. It's worth pointing out that the legacy of this first generation of missionaries to survive the turmoil of the turn of the century was that by the 1920s, three modern hospitals were built in three cities in Honan with funds from the Presbyterian Church, and these were led by the second generation of Canadian Honan missionaries. Included in these hospitals were modern nurses' training programs meant for both the daughters of local missionaries, but also the daughters of local Chinese, the first of its kind in the province of Honan. I want to thank you all for listening today. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris. That's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Patreon. And you can find us on all podcast listening devices. And please do not hesitate to write and leave a comment. We love to hear from you. I'm David Boris. Stay curious, friends. Mm-hmm.